0: Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. Want to turn there. Uh, and we have been in this series that we just started last week uh, called In Search of a King. As we have been exploring through uh, the kings and leaders in the Old Testament And uh, looking at uh, not only what we can learn, not only what are the lessons from their life and their mistakes and their successes that we can learn, but what we want to see is Jesus in the midst of these kings, these imperfect kings who pointed the way to the one true perfect king Uh, And that is Jesus. And so last week we saw how all of this began. We found out uh, how the people of God uh, became frustrated and in fear uh, of the Ammonites, uh, demanded from God uh, that he give them a king. They rejected God as their king. Up until this time, God had led his people faithfully. Uh, through judges uh, that he would raise up and prophets that he would raise up to call his people back to faithfulness. Judges he would raise up uh, to defend them and help them in times of battle um, and particular situations that they may be facing. And yet as the Ammonites were bearing down on them with King Nahash who was threatening them to either gouge out their right eye or to kill them by the sword and gave them seven days to make their decision in fear they said God is no longer good for us. God is no longer enough for us. He can't uh, help us in this, and we want a king. We want a king like all the other nations, and what a warning to us about making decisions out of fear. And so Samuel obeys God, and he does what they commanded. Uh, He gives them a king Uh, But before he gives them a king, he gives them a warning and tells them what it's going to be like to live under kingship. uh, That that is going to come with consequences. That over a span of 500 years, kings would rule Israel. And in that 500 years of, of ruling, there would be 42 unique kings who would sit on the throne. And of the 42, only seven would honor God. Seven out of 42 kings would do what is considered right in the eyes of God. So this is not a good deal that Israel is getting. And what they soon learn is that their idolatry for a king, their desire for a king had become an idol to them. And their idol of a king ultimately betrayed them and enslaved them to a foreign land. 500 years later, they would find themselves enslaved in captivity in Babylon. And so let's take a look at Israel's first king. You probably know this in life, not everything that starts well ends well, right? A few years ago, we were uh, putting up curtains in our daughter's room. My wife had uh, uh, found the perfect set of curtains, the exact curtain rod that she wanted. And so I took the time to go in there and I know my wife, she is type A personality to the nth degree. It has to be precisely perfect or she's just gonna pick it up. You can't hide nothing from her. And so I did everything I knew to do to get this curtain rod perfectly on the wall. And if you've ever hung curtain rods, I'm pretty sure hell is going to be nothing but hanging curtain rods endlessly on not square walls, right? That, that's, just, that, that's just what hell is gonna be. It is awful. And so, I I mean, I had the measuring tape out, measuring from the bottom of the crown molding down to the spot it exactly had to be so that the curtains would hit perfectly on the carpet, right? And I had spent hours working on this, meticulously marking everything where it went. I got it up there. I'm so proud of my work. And she walks in, she looks at it, and she goes, the right-hand side is a little bit lower than the left-hand side. I don't know if anybody else is an Enneagram 8 on the Enneagram, right? But we're the gut level, just we respond from the gut and like sometimes rage just comes out, right? And it just came out. I said some very unkind things and I just ripped the curtains off the wall, didn't even unscrew it, just like ripped the curtain rod off the wall, broke it in half, carried it out and threw it in the trash can and said, screw it, we're not putting curtains up in her room, right? Like it started off so great. It was going so well. And then it just train wrecked so fast. And this is Saul. This is, that's how you could define his kingship. In fact, Saul will tell you that if you go all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 26, Saul giving uh, basically a summary of his leadership over Israel tells you that. It, It ended in a ditch really fast. He was not oblivious to this. He started out very well. He started out faithful to God, following God, and yet his kingship ended pretty miserably. Let's take a look at who Saul was. First Samuel chapter 9, if you want to follow along, verses 1 through 2. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zer- Zeror, the son of Becherath, son of Aphia, A Benjamite, a man of wealth. I'm gonna let some of you come up on stage one week and just try to pronounce these names that are out there. And no matter how many times you go through them and rehearse them before you get up here, they just never come out the right way. And he had a son whose name was Saul. Praise him for naming him Saul and not something weird, right? A handsome young man. He was handsome. There was not a young man among the people of Israel more handsome than he From the shoulders upward, he was taller than any other people. We talked about this last week. Um, Saul was a gorgeous dude. We're going to get to that in a few moments. But I want to focus before we get into that the very beginning. From the beginning, we have a major problem with Saul. If you know your Old Testament, you know that in Genesis 49, uh, it tells us that the right to rule Israel, the kingship comes, should come from the tribe of Judah, not one of the other 12 tribes. There's 12 tribes in Israel and the right to rule comes from the, the, the tribe of Judah. Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. So from the very beginning, we have a big problem for Saul's kingship and his ruler uh, rule of Israel. But what we know about Israel, if you look at their history is, they're not always worried about doing things the right way. Their emotions get the best of them. As we saw last week, their decisions are what was made out of fear. They're afraid of the Ammonites and they're demanding a strong, powerful, capable king. And their fear led them to demand this king of God. And so God chooses to give them what they want. We talked about this last week. Sometimes God will give us what we want, not necessarily what we need. And so Kish was a mighty man, Saul's father was a mighty man of both power and wealth. And so off the bat, as we look at Saul, we see two uh, uh, natural advantages, and we're gonna talk about several more that he has that Saul had for being king. He had some natural advantages that set him apart from everybody else that said he's gonna make a a great king. First, he looked the part of a king. Let's just be honest. We are very shallow people, right? We don't want ugly leaders. Let's just acknowledge that. When we, you think about someone who leads, all of us look at the image that they portray and Israel was no different. When we look at leadership, we want someone who looks the part. Whatever the part is in our head, that's what we want. And we see off the bat, Saul looked the part. He was tall, he was dark, he was handsome. There was nobody else in all of Israel more beautiful than Saul. Not only was he handsome, he was physically strong. And as we talked about last week, he came from a tribe, uh, the tribe of Benjamin. And these guys were known as the special forces of Israel. So they were trained, special warriors. But the second advantage he had is that he came from a family with resources. Kish is wealthy. How do we know that? Look in the next verse and we'll find out because of what happens. Verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And so Kish said to his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go, look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Epaphram. He passed through the land of Silesia, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalom. But they were not there, and they passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them, verse 5. And when they came to the land of Zeph, Saul said to his servant, <clears throat> who was with him, Come, let's go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious for us. Donkeys at this time were a rare commodity, and for many people who had large herds of sheep, donkeys were used as guardians, much like a guard dog would be uh, today. Donkeys were used for the same thing in Israel at that time, and so to have donkeys meant that you had money. You were wealthy. You were a wealthy uh, she, uh, shepherd who had lots of resources at your hand. And for Kish, these important donkeys uh, that were not only valuable and wealthy, but were also served a great purpose for him, have gone missing. And so he sends Saul and a servant to go find them. And Saul's response to his father gives us another natural advantage he had to rule Israel. And that's this. He had good relationships with others. Notice Saul didn't argue with his father. He didn't say, go go get one of my brothers and send them to go. You've got servants that you pay, Father. Send one of your servants to go do this. No, he complies with his father's wishes and he honors his father's requests and he does it faithfully without arguing. Amen. Can we give that to our kids? I've got a 10-year-old who needs to hear that sometimes. Not only was he faithful in obeying his father, He was also worried about his father. Look at his answer when he realized they had been gone for several days looking for these donkeys and they had not found them. He realized this is a lost cause. I'm not finding them. I just need to go home because my father is no longer gonna care about the donkeys. He's gonna be worried about me and he's gonna think something's happened to me. So we see, again, he's got a good relationship with his father. He is worried about his father. But in the next verse, his servant suggests something to to Saul that is going to change his life forever. He gives him a different course of action. Verse six, his servant said to him, behold, there is a man of God in this city and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way That we should go. And Saul said to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring this man? For the bread in our sacks is gone and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, here I have with me a quarter shekel of silver and I will give it to the man of God to tell us. Our way. The servant convinces Saul, hey, there is a man of God. He is a seer. Now, before prophets existed in the Old Testament, they had what were called seers. These were men who walked faithfully with God. They were extremely in tune with God. They understood his will and his desires and his instructions. And they could also see into the future. And so uh, his servant understood that there was a seer in uh, this town close by, and he says to Saul, hey, let's go there. Let's ask him where we should go, what direction we need to go to find these donkeys. Now, what is interesting off the bat is that Saul does not call this seer by name. His servant does, but Saul does not. This tells us something about Saul. It tells us he's not a very spiritual person at all. He's not really concerned about spiritual things, which is going to become his undoing later in his life. How do we know that? Because everyone in Israel knows who Samuel is. He is an important guy. You would never just refer to him as some guy who can see the future. You would call him by name. Saul does not call him by name. He doesn't know who he is. And it tells us Saul's not really focused on spiritual things. He's he's beautiful. He's tall, dark, and handsome. He's got good relationships, but he's not really focused on spiritual things. He's not really worried about that. And in the end, it will be his undoing. So verse 15, they head towards uh, this city that they know Samuel is in. And before they get there, verse 15 tells us something unique that God does. I love this. The day before Saul came the Lord revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people. Notice he does not say king. Remember, king is not God's plan. It's not his desire. He's given the people what they want. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. And when Samuel saw Uh, And when Samuel saw Saul, that's a tongue tie right there, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. God was orchestrating all of this. The donkeys getting lost were no accident. Kish sending Saul to find the donkeys was no accident. Them not finding the donkeys immediately off the bat was no accident. It was no coincidence that his servant said, let's go to the seer in the town close by because maybe he can help us. God is working in the midst of all of this. He is orchestrating all of it to bring about what he has in store for Israel, even though it was not what he wanted even though it was going to burden his people for the next 500 years and lead them into captivity in Babylon. And I think it's a good reminder for us today that even through our own rebellion, God will work to bring about good. Don't you love that? Paul reminds us in Romans that God will work to bring about good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Even in the times where we rebel against God, even in the times we choose to be stubborn and demand our own way instead of following his way, God is faithful to orchestrate and bring about good things from it. It is through this course of action, it will be through the imperfect Morally bankrupt Saul as king over God's people, that God would set up a pathway to usher in his greatest gift for all mankind Jesus, the true king. Saul would start out well and he would end miserably. But the good news is, Jesus won. Jesus will finish what he started. Jesus finished well, and in return offers you and I life in exchange for death. And here's the good news for you and I today. Your life isn't finished, and the hope we find in that is Jesus will not forsake you either. He will not leave you unfinished. Even in the moments we choose to rebel against God, God is still working behind the scenes to bring about good. So Saul arrives in the city, verse 19, and Samuel, he, he, he comes to Samuel and asks, Are you Samuel? Verse 19, Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place for today. <clears throat> you shall eat with me. And in the morning, I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. I'm going to tell you what you came here to find out. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. For whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? So Saul answered, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel and is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Samuel tells Saul, hey, forget about the donkeys. I know you're consumed with that. You're focused on that. You wanna find your father's uh, 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 possessions that are lost. And it is here that we see another natural advantage that Saul had to lead Israel. And that is he is a determined man. He does not give up on what he is called to do. He is determined. He is relentless. He is focused. It takes takes Samuel to say, stop looking for the donkeys. Instead, I'm throwing a dinner party and you're coming to it and you're going to be the guest of honor because out of everyone in Israel, you are the desired one. Your father's household is the desired one. And Saul's blown away me, Saul, the son of Kish, I'm desired of everyone in Israel, I'm the guest of honor at this banquet that you're going to be throwing and we see yet another natural advantage that Saul had that set him apart to lead Israel and that was he was humble. Saul, the guy who would end a miserable wreck began as a humble man. He doesn't believe he's capable. Saul has a good understanding of himself. He goes, me, I'm I'm not the guy you're looking for. I'm not qualified to to be the guest of honor at this banquet. We even see later in the next chapter when Saul is announced by Samuel as the king of Israel. He says, I'm presenting to you, Saul, your next king, and there's nobody standing there. Where's Saul? He was hiding in the luggage. Terrified. He didn't think he could do it. He was a humble guy. He was not proud. He wasn't arrogant. And so they have their banquet. They have their meal. Saul is... Uh, he, uh, eats there with Samuel. He spends the night, and the next morning, here's Saul's determinedness, right? He's focused on the job that he's got to get done. I've got to get my donkeys home to my father. So he's in a rush to get back to find them. And as he is leaving, he and Samuel are walking through the outskirts of the city that they're in. And verse 27, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell your servant to pass before us. When the servant had passed on a ways away from them, he said to Saul, stop here yourself for a while. Stop. That I may make known to you the word of God, Saul. Stop working, Saul. Stop spinning your wheels. Forget about the donkeys for a moment. You're so busy, something is happening here and you don't want to miss it, Saul. Stop worrying about what your father has asked you to do. Stop worrying about finding the donkeys. God has something that is way more important that he wants you to hear, that he wants you to speak. But if you want to hear what God has to say, Saul, you've got to stop. And listen, church. We can't hear the voice of God if we're running 90 miles an hour, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. If we don't learn to slow down, if we don't learn to get quiet before God, to be still and know that he is God and that we are not, we won't hear him. We gotta learn to slow down and listen to what God is speaking and saying. Because he will not be rushed. Samuel saying to Saul, listen, you're looking for donkeys, but God is looking for a king. And you are that king. So chapter 10, verse 1. Samuel took out a flask of oil and he pulled it over. Uh, Saul's head, and he kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin. And they will say to you, The donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys, and he is now anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you, and they will give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. Verse 5. And after that, you shall come to uh, Gilbeth Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. And then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now these signs will meet you when these signs meet you, do what your hands find to do, for God is with you, Saul. Then go down before me till Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. And when Saul turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came. Pass that day, Samuel anoints Saul. He says, You are the king, you are the chosen one, you are the one that the people have asked God for, and God has chosen you above everybody else. And he does this by smearing oil over his head and kissing him. He says, You are the king of Israel. And he tells him, I, I, I know this is all a lot, but listen three things are going to happen to you, three signs are going to happen to you today, Saul. And it's going to confirm to you that you are the king and that God is orchestrating all this. Number one, you're going to see have messengers who are going to come to you saying the donkeys you're looking for are found. The second sign you're going to see as you go a little bit further, you're going to have three men who are going to greet you with food and drink. Because remember, they'd exhausted all their food. In the search for the donkeys, they were out of everything. All they had were a few shekels of silver and they gave that to Samuel. So they have nothing in their hands. Sign three, you'll meet some prophets who will prophesy and in that moment you will be empowered by God and you will prophesy with them. And when these three signs happen, Saul, wait seven days and I will come to you and I will show you what to do. And what you have to understand is anytime something like this happens in Scripture, there's meaning behind it. What do these three signs mean? I think what they meant Samuel was saying to Saul, You're a man with a lot of natural advantages, Saul. You're beautiful. You're strong. You come from a great family. You've got good relationships, you're determined, you're humble. All of these are great natural advantages that you have, but your advantages will not be enough, Saul. You cannot do this on your own. On your own, you are not capable of being the king that Israel needs. And so each sign was a lesson That Saul must take to heart if he wanted to be a successful king for Israel. The first lesson came from sign number one, and that was God can solve all your problems. What was Saul's problem? His father's donkeys were missing, and he couldn't find them. No matter how hard he searched, no matter how far he went, he couldn't find them. Who solved the problem? Not Saul. God did. God found the donkeys. God sent them home. It was a lesson to Saul that in your kingship, as you lead Israel, you're going to be faced with problems and you don't have to solve them because your father in heaven will solve them for you. If you will learn to trust him and if you'll learn to look to him and to rely on him, he can solve all of your problems that you face. The second lesson that he learns is that God will provide all your needs. What did the men coming down carry with them? They carried uh, food, wine, bread, things to uh, sustain him. They were out of all their resources. They had nothing to eat. They had nothing to drink. They had no silver or money to buy anything. And all of a sudden, God sent men alongside them with provisions to meet their needs. It was a lesson to Saul that as king, you're going to have many needs that are coming before you. God can provide every single need that you have. You don't have to try to meet those on your own. The third lesson comes from the third sign when Saul prophesied. Remember we talked about Saul was not a spiritual man and yet Saul was prophesying with some of the best prophets in Israel. People were astonished. They were amazed. Isn't this Saul, the son of Kish? He doesn't worry about that kind of stuff. And here he is prophesying. It was a lesson to Saul that God can empower you to do what you cannot do on your own. And Samuel was saying to Saul, if you'll learn these three lessons, if you'll take them to heart, and if you'll combine the natural advantages that God has blessed you with, with a heart that trusts and relies on God, you will be successful as the king of Israel. And that's how Saul starts out. And things are great. He defeats the Ammonites, he protects Israel, he is faithful to God, he leverages his natural advantages with a heart that trusts and relies in God that knows God will provide, uh, that God will solve all of his problems, that God can provide every single need, and that God will empower him to do what he cannot do on his own. But somewhere along the way, he forgets about God. And he begins to trust in his own strengths and his own advantages over a heart that relies and trusts in God. He becomes determined to rely on his own physical strength and capability. And he spirals out of control into a deep depression and ultimately into a psychotic breakdown in a cave hiding in the desert. Saul was an ultimate failure as a king. And though he started off well, He failed to represent the true king, which was Jesus. The good news for you and me is that we're not called to be the king of Israel. Praise Jesus. But like Saul, each one of us is called to represent Jesus well. And just like Saul, God has empowered and equipped you with natural advantages to do that. He's equipped you with talents, resources, skills, and abilities that reflect the heart and nature of God and that equip you to be Jesus in the places you live, work, and play. But on your own, you're not enough. You can't rely on your own skills, your own advantages, your own talents. Like Saul, you've got to take your natural advantages and combine those with a heart that trusts in God and knows that he is capable of solving our problems, that he will provide every single need that we have, and that he will empower us to do what we are physically not capable of doing on our own. And when we start to do that, when we leverage our natural advantages and abilities with a heart that trusts God, that's when people in our neighborhood, people in our family, people in our workplace will begin to see hope flowing out of us and they will be drawn to Jesus. God, we thank you for an imperfect king like Saul. We thank you for a chance to learn from his life. He didn't start off as a tyrant who was crazy and psychotic. He started off as a man who was faithful and obedient to you, who was humble, who was determined, who was gifted in many different ways, but along the way forgot to trust in you. who along the way stop saying you are my only hope and place that hope into himself help us to not make the same mistake we may, we may not be the king of Israel but you have called us to represent the true king Jesus in the places that we live work and play And that will only happen when we leverage our our skills and talents and abilities and the natural advantages you've given us with these lessons that you taught Saul at the beginning of his kingship. May we develop a heart that fully trusts you and knows that you will provide for us. Help us reflect Jesus well. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarknox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.